Hi, everyone. Welcome to the latest edition of On Point. Wonderful to have Sunil Sharma. He's the Chief Operating Officer of the Conservative Friends of the Commonwealth. Sunil has been a guest before, uh, and for good reasons and popular reasons, we're welcoming him back. Sunil, how are you? I'm good, thank you, Simon. How are you? Actually, not too bad. Um, I'm coming to you live from the prison of Auckland. Uh, New Zealand continues uh, at some form of lockdown around COVID and certainly the, the city of Auckland. But you're in the relatively free London, I believe. Yeah, I mean, we're pretty much um, as close to back to normal as we've been for quite some time now. Uh, the restrictions are fully eased. I mean, there's a few places where the one metre social distancing rules in place, uh, the hospitals. Um, aside from that, we're, we're pretty much where we were um, in, in terms of restrictions wise prior to COVID. So it has fully eased up. Um, we're no longer forced to wear masks. Um, I, I only a few supermarkets uh, decide to enforce them. A couple of transport operators have, but technically it's essentially on the, the businesses to decide what they want to do. Uh, but government wise, no one is forced to wear a mask. Um, so yeah, we're, we're relatively, I'd say, well, more than relatively, pretty much open and free. God, that in itself is remarkable to hear. We'll have to come back and tease that out um, a little bit more, actually, because I think it'd be really interesting, certainly to me and listeners, to understand what's happening in the world. But um, while we have started, sorry to turn to what will be quite a sad topic, but one we should touch on right at the start is, of course, the, the murder of uh, Sir David Amos. I mean, what an absolute tragedy and shock. Uh, that's been to to all of us, but certainly to you in the United Kingdom. Uh, absolutely crazy uh, turn of events. Um, I think the thing with, with Sir David is he, he's one of the sort of rare politicians that everyone loves. He's got sort of universal uh, support from both sides, whether it's uh, Labour MPs, Conservative MPs, uh, Lib Dems, um, someone who's known to be an extremely compassionate MP. Um, he, he's campaigned on um, you know, animal rights. He, he's done some fantastic things uh, as a as a, a member of parliament for over thirty eight years. Um, so horrible news, extremely sad, um, and something that I don't think any of us foresaw happening. Um, I mean, we we saw some good news literally about an hour ago um, in terms of so what one of the things he's actually campaigned for for quite some time was the area in which uh, he's an MP for it to receive a city status. So uh, Southend is essentially uh, a town in Essex. Um, and he, he's campaigned for that for quite some time. Um, it never got approved. And um, the government announced uh, literally an hour ago that now Southend and Sea will be a city. Uh, so it'll have that official status, which is uh, one of the uh, nicer things from this tragedy. Oh, that's a fitting, a fitting tribute to him. I mean, what I knew of him, as you say, completely compassionate, a life of service. He'd been in Parliament, was it almost 40 years? I mean, a substantial amount of time. Um, and yeah, a great champion for his his riding or electorate. Uh, that is very fitting. I mean, how's the response been in the UK? I assume, obviously, deep sadness, but also a huge amount of shock. I mean, this is the, the second MP in several years, was it Joe Cox was murdered a few years ago as well? I mean, is this raising yeah. substantial questions about security and democracy in the UK? Uh, uh, definitely, it's a massive shock. Um, and I have to say the, the response has been really good from all parties um, so far. That, that's definitely um, 
worth noting from uh, Labour, Lib Dems. It's been really nice to see them, um, the, the vast majority, really um, say some really positive things about Sir David, and it has sort of brought some unity um, in, in in the in the, in the country. There is definitely the question of security of MPs. I mean, the the government is being asked a lot at the moment in terms of what it does next. Um, I think Priti Patel recently said how um, essentially they want MPs to still remain accessible to people. Um, they don't want that to change, but they will offer added security to people, to MPs who who essentially want it. Um, it is really sad because, you know, Sir David has done incredible CVs and amazing things, but he wasn't necessarily a cabinet minister or somebody who's on the, the front line or somebody who's uh, we're talking about regularly on the news. That's what in some ways makes it even more shocking and and um, hard to understand. Um, but it, it definitely is. It's, it's a good point. MP safety is something that we're being talked about quite a lot. I mean, it's now being... Um, we're talking sort of bigger as well now in terms of social media. Um, so one of the things I think uh, that they're proposing or considering to propose is they want to remove um, anonymous people on social media um, mm. because the, the, there's a lot of um, hateful messages and death threats that are going to uh, MPs. And now I think they're thinking that maybe, well, we, we should be taking those more serious. Um, and so it has left just sort of, a few question marks on what are the next steps. Um, and it, it's hard to really tell because the, the person who did this, um, uh, who, who, who killed Sir David, was uh, an Islamic extremist. Um, it's been um, officially confirmed. So it, it's hard to tell if this is an isolated incident where, you know, he's, you know, that this person has done this attack or whether it's something that we really need to wake up about and really take seriously. Um, so it's a mixture of so many things at the moment. Yeah, it's one of the paradoxes, isn't it, um, is that you can have these rogue individuals, lone wolves, whatever. Um, the very nature of wanting to be a terrorist is, is to change behaviours in the wider society by their actions. And if we, if you will, and by the way, I'm not trying to inter, um, interject myself into uh, UK politics, but if society overly reacts to the actions of one person and in a bizarre way they've succeeded rather than, proportionately saying, okay, this was the act of, of one nutcase. But the tragedy is a remarkable man is dead. And I mean, the the shock to his family and everything, it, it's quite, quite disturbing. But thank you for sharing a little bit about that and um, the sympathies from myself and my family to Sir David there. Hey, turning to, to COVID, um, as I said at the start, New Zealand's uh, still pretty much in, in lockdowns. Uh, more and more mandates of who should be uh, vaccinated. Uh, there's talk about vaccine passports from everything from international travel right through to buying yourself a coffee. Uh, and certainly here, Sunil, we're getting lots and lots of overseas uh, footage and reporting of other countries which are locked down. But I thought it'd be interesting if you, yeah, could expand a little bit further on, on what you're seeing in the UK because you had, well, Boris declared Freedom Day. Um, and, yeah, what was Freedom Day? What did that mean? And as you touched on a little bit earlier, what does it look like in the UK now for you? Supermarket shopping, going to the pub. Don't know why I keep thinking about going to the pub. But anyway. <laughs> you and me both. Um, but no, it's um, so Freedom Day was essentially the, the day when all restrictions uh, were no longer in place and we returned back to sort of um, uh, pre-COVID way of living. 
uh, with a few exceptions. So, for example, international travel. Um, but essentially, you know, most of uh, normal life resumes, and largely it's gone well. We we haven't, you know, that there was initial some sort of scares and and fears that uh, we may not necessarily go into a lockdown, but go into restrictions coming back in place. That hasn't happened. Um, it's been, you know, the the vaccinations have been fantastic more and more people are getting vaccinated uh cases um it, it's worth noting cases have gone down and they, and they are decreasing but there has been moments where they've gone back up um and um i think where i'm really happy with this government is they didn't in those periods and those moments when it probably would have been easier or you know some there would be a certain expectation for them to maybe put a few more restrictions in place or you know return to a tier system which we had previously they didn't um, and they almost rode that out, and now we're in a quite a good position. I think you know we we've got sixty seven percent of the country is vaccinated. Um, you know it's it's pretty much. I wouldn't say we're completely back to where we were pre COVID, but I think that's a lot to do with individuals and you know psychological scarring. And I think people, in some ways, rightly are a bit more aware of um, you know not going to work if they're not feeling well. To decide to work from home, people wearing more masks. Um, talking supermarkets, I would say um, that's definitely a place where you see more masks being worn. Um, pubs and stuff, not so much. I mean, it, it varies. It, it really varies from cities to um, which supermarket chain you go to. Some have restrictions, some don't in terms of the masks. Um, but generally speaking, it seems like we are... Um, moving towards um back to where we were before covid um i I think there's talk of a sort of a third booster jab i I know a lot of uh the the flu jab stuff that they've started rolling out already uh for for people so uh because there is that the fear that you know flu in some ways last year was hit you know uh almost all-time lows because we were inside and people weren't getting a six so there is a fear that this year if you get the flu you you may uh, suffer from it worse than you would normally. So they've rolled out the flu jab uh, in some ways earlier. Um, so it, in terms of restrictions, it's, yeah, it's pretty minimal with close to zero and um, long may continue. Yeah. Well, it's remarkable to hear it. I mean, I mean, following with other friends uh, in the UK, following your own um, Instagram account and so forth. And it's like, gosh, there's almost been a role reversal in the last year from New Zealand being completely free, um, not so much open or not open to the world, uh, and a lot of countries, the UK included, locked down, but now it's it's split. And um, when I hear you describing what you have, my stepkids in the United States, it's pretty much all back to normal. Um, but, yeah, here lots and lots of, of extra uh, restrictions and the challenge for us, perhaps as it was for you guys, is we're moving into summer now here right. in New Zealand and the... Uh, uh, you're getting a little bit of a gap developing between all the rules. So two meter rules, uh, only two bubbles of family. So, you know, you and I could meet, um, but you, I, and another mate couldn't. Um, so lots right. and lots of rules. But in reality, you were to drive around uh, parts of Auckland at the moment, hundreds if not thousands of people congregating on beaches and parks. They've, they've sort of had enough. So there's this funny tension building. But can I draw out, so you said vaccination rates, and look, um, neither of us are epidemiologists and vaccinologists, but you'd said we're, you're in the high 60s or into your 70% fully vaccinated now? Yeah, 
yeah, in the in the sixties, uh, in terms of fully vaccinated. It's interesting you mentioned about the the beaches and uh, you, your rules sound very similar to what we had last year. Um, uh, in terms of we had it was correct me if I'm wrong, maybe two groups of six or something along those lines. You could be from two households, um, and you, you could meet. So it sounds very similar. And essentially, the same thing happened here. There was Bournemouth uh, was one of the places. Brighton was another place. Uh, we don't have too many places with beaches, but there's two locations that do. Um, and both those areas were like just with thousands and thousands of people uh, who just had enough and had just decided that the weather was nice and we're going to the beach and we don't really care about the restrictions. And there was a real kind of um, people just, oh, yeah, just having enough. Um, so it's interesting to hear uh, uh, that's going on in New Zealand. But yeah, vaccination wise, we're, I think uh, fully vaccinated 66 percent 67 percent um so the, the vaccination um journey has gone well i think that the next question for us is about vaccine passports um whether we're going to roll them out or not um so that that will be a, an interesting sort of topic it was very big about a month or two ago it seems to have died down we're not seem to be talking about it as much but that was something that we saw quite a lot of protests for um in, in the uk um and you know um I, I wouldn't say i'm you know pro or against i'm pretty much undecided but i think it is worth noting on the on the vaccine passport in in the uk which i kept having to remind some people here is you know you you can be pro uh getting vaccinated but against the vaccine passport you know the, the two are different things and i think sometimes people seem to forget that here um but at the moment, there's not really any vaccine passport. There are certain venues that say you should be double jabbed or, you know, you, you need to have proof. Um, so I, for example, go to uh, quite a lot of uh, football games, soccer games, and there they ask for um, proof that you've been double vaccinated. But it, again, it's case by case, club by club, um, team by team, pub by pub. You, you kind of make those rules yourself. For what it's worth, that sort of resonates with me, I, I sit on the side of vaccination's good, a bit more nervous around vaccine passports. I think there's certainly some areas it makes absolute sense. So big, big events. So if you're going to the football, for example, uh, for here in New Zealand at this time of year and going into summer, it's the big concerts, the big music festivals. Uh, right. Intuitively, that makes sense to me. You know, you're dealing with tens of thousands of people. It's a We talk about super spreader events down here. Um, I'm a little less comfortable when all of a sudden um, someone needs to go to a supermarket or wants to buy a cup of coffee. But that then's balanced as someone who's on the, well, both of us on the centre right of politics, well, businesses are supposedly free to make their choices. In other words, if a business wants to mandate a passport, well, that's fine. Uh, customers are also free to not go there uh, if that's that. So there's all these quirky little interplays, but um, it's a big, big debate here uh, in New Zealand. Um, although we've got the conundrum here that uh, we're still in lockdown. We don't have the passport technology in play. The government hasn't introduced a system. And so I'm not sure I'm going to explain this well, but the government won't want to let New Zealanders out to be able to go to pubs, cafes, restaurants, gyms, wherever, uh, without a passport, because we'll get used to it. Maybe a bit like in the UK, you haven't had to use one. So people just yep. get used to, okay, well, I'm mixing with vaccinated, maybe some unvaccinated. Why would you then go back to something restrictive a month or two later? So, yes, yeah, so we've got the tension here. 
I mean, for you guys, this passport, is it something digital or is it a piece of paper or a card? What are you guys using? Uh, so the I, I have the app, so the, the NHS app that shows uh, that I've been double vaccinated. Um, so you, you can, I think you can use your vaccination card. So, you know, it says first stamp, then second stamp. Um, it shows you've been double vaccinated. Some people carry that around. Um, I essentially just show it on my app and that, that t- seems to be what I think majority of people are, are doing. Um, and that seems to be working okay so far, to be honest. I, I, there hasn't really been, um, th- there was a really big discussion a month or two about this in terms of actually having a formal vaccine passport. That seems to really die down now. Um, but it, it would be interesting to see how, how it pans out in, in the future months. I, I think this winter period where flu season um, naturally hits, um, I think will we'll be sort of a, a testing and interesting time for for our government to see what they do, what measures they put out, if um, if any. Um, we, we still, you know, that there is in terms of population wise, there's still a real sense of um, caution. Uh, you, you can see it amongst people. It, it's it, in some ways that you've got other people who have gone, you know, fully the other side of just, you know, they're so happy almost to be liberated. And then you've got other side of group of people, which is they're still very cautious and um, they're still, uh, you know, like a psychological effect, which naturally that they, they, they will be. I think we're going to go through those range of emotions. We've got certainly those here who are very fearful uh, right. and would have to lock this country down forever. Uh, you then have others who are very much in the denial that would be that sort of anti-vax side. Uh, almost, well, not almost, it's very much conspiracy side um, Batshit, basically, excuse the French. Um, right. So you've got all of that and then everything in the middle of sort of, well, how, how do we negotiate uh, this? Although it's probably fair to say in New Zealand that the majority of people do want to get back to some degree of uh, freedom. There's been right. a bit of concern just about how much control the government's taken. But the other element is we want to travel. Kiwis are natural uh, travellers and we're getting a itchy feet. Uh, so can you guys travel? I know it's, you can't come here, well, not easily. But in terms of the UK, um, I assume you can easily travel within the country. You know, Scotland and Wales haven't put any borders in of sorts. Is that easy to do? Yeah, yeah. So traveling around the UK is pretty uh, straightforward and easy. Uh, going outside the UK becomes a bit more difficult. Um, so it, it's not impossible, and lots of people have done it. Um, it requires a bit more planning. It requires um you sort of doing tests before and after and sh- having proof that you're going to do it afterwards so it's not um you know it, it's not impossible it's still not fully open though in terms of it's not it's not necessarily an easy thing to do you you, you do need to plan you do need to um think about this and you do need to pay extra and um so the traveling outside um is is definitely i mean airlines have taken a hit massively in the uk and they're not really um recovering that well so far um but i think there is optimism as we get towards the end of this year and start of next year that that will change um but um yeah we we, we can travel around the country anyway completely fine around the uk there's pretty much uh, little to no restrictions um but yeah it's interesting to see what's going on i suppose in in new zealand because i remember i think speaking to maybe yourself last year and almost being envious of the position you are in, and uh, I was here locked out, locked away, and uh, <laughs> struggling to even leave my house. Well, this is where things have almost literally 
spun on its head because um, I remember that conversation with you and, and with other friends over there going, gosh, really, really difficult to be locked in. And here we were, in effect, back to normal or what felt like normal. Um, and then in August we had, in our case, one case of Delta got in the country and we all got locked down, um, which didn't unfortunately succeed. Um, we've still got cases rising. But uh, yeah, now I and many others look towards, as I say, the UK and other countries and go, oh, because we see pictures sometimes on the news. We get right. a lot more of what's happening badly in Australia than we do right. in the UK. But when we do get some coverage of the United Kingdom, we can see people out in the parks and in the pubs and attending concerts and football games. It's like, what, what, what's going on here? What's this, this thing called freedom? <laughs> <laughs> it's, you- it's, it's really interesting because I think I saw the Delta case when you got one case and the country went to lockdown. And for us in the UK, that seemed pretty crazy. And, you know, we've had a lot, it took a lot more cases for us to get into lockdown. And even when we had substantially more cases, people like myself and others were very critical and weren't, you know, we wanted to really scrutinize and we wanted to see, is that the really the right decision? Because, you know, one thing I've been, you know, banging on about for quite some time now is about cancer. And it's, you know, it's the the numbers that we're getting this year in terms of UK and the numbers that are being projected are pretty horrific. Um, one of the side effects of a lockdown that I, I think is just really missed from, um, to be honest, a, a pretty much majority of people is the impact of cancer and people not going to their GP. So I've really gone on a... Um, on a, on a spurge on just telling people go to your GP you know if you have a cough go to your GP because it may be early signs of, of cancer maybe early signs of you know a, a lung cancer but you know what you've caught it at stage one so you'll be fine uh, but guess what when you hit um, stage three or, or or later the chance of survival are pretty low um, mm-hmm. so that's what kind of really for me when we were in sort of lockdown for a sustained period of time that really worried me uh, quite a bit. Um, are, are you getting similar kind of? Is is a Labour Party getting similar scrutiny back? Or because I, I felt that in some ways yeah. we weren't doing enough. We weren't talking about that enough here when it was going on. Yeah, uh, something I'm very aware of. Something that I uh, bang on about a lot, uh, which is the other costs to COVID. So obviously, no one want. We don't want COVID in the country. We don't want people being sick or dying from COVID. But the flip side is that there's a number of other health costs. And you touch on cancer. I have some of my own local constituents who struggle, for example, to get breast cancer screening. Now, for most of them, that'll be fine. But for some, that cancer won't be detected as early as it could be. And there'll be consequences. Other people are not getting the cancer treatments. Lung cancer is a really, really good example. Um, I've got quite a bit to do here with the Lung uh, Foundation. That Long and short, you've got to get it early and people are having surgeries delayed. And there's a cost to that, including a a life cost. You know, some people will die because of the delays. And then you've got all the other sides, you know, some of the youngest of children who, because of masks and not going to um, kindergarten or school, uh, are missing some of the social interactions. Older constituents who had one lady, she's in her 90s, she said, why the hell are you protecting us? You know, I just want to see my grandchildren. I've got little time left in this world and you've locked me up in a retirement village. So mm-hmm. all of these things are there. But to answer the wider question, there isn't really the scrutiny. I would suggest um, our parliament's being limited by government. Our media often here, Sunil, don't really... By an, it's a broad statement, more 
the media more run the government lines than actually mm. really hoeing in and going, well, hold on a moment, what are some of the other costs? But myself and others are trying to generate those conversations, which are, yep, we need to address COVID rightly, but there's a whole lot of other societal costs which you know are not being uh, factored in. Um, so good to hear that you're working and promoting that. Hey, before we switch, I'd be interested to hear about the Conservative Party conference you've just had. But really quickly, do you guys have just the one? We only have Pfizer here. Do you in the UK have options of other vaccines or just the one? Uh, yeah, so we had uh, we have options of, of different uh, vaccines. Um, I'll be honest, I got, I think, Astra Moderna. Um, so we, we we had, I think we went through different stages. So we had Pfizer initially, We, we you could get access to, I think there's about three different vaccines, um, but it, it changed. So depending on what age category you fall in, depends on what vaccine you've got more than likely. Um, so um, the the younger group, I think I got AstraZeneca, Moderna maybe. Well, of, course you're in, of course you're in the young group. So I mean, I got the, I got part of the younger group uh, one. Um, and yeah, yeah it, we had access to uh, different ones. So like, I know my parents got different one to me. Uh, I, I can't tell you which one, I think it was Pfizer, but they, yeah, they, they definitely got a different one to me. Um, so yeah, we we had um, access to different vaccines, and we still do. And has the UK had many mandates around the use of vaccination as well? Like we've just had uh, teachers and healthcare workers that you know they have to to be vaccinated. Has the UK government had similar dynamics? Similar um, that they were also urging uh, NHS uh, workers to get the the vaccine as well. So that there, there hasn't um, there hasn't been a general mandate on the general population, or except strongly urging them to get it. Um, that that was generally the, the push, uh, but other than that, not really, not that many mandates. Yeah, remarkably, here we're actually heading uh, towards eighty percent vaccinated at the moment. This is uh, sixteen oh, wow. and older, by the way. We we haven't yet started on the younger um, uh, children, but they've done quite well in that um, in that regard. Without fully, too fully much. vaccinated, is that fully oh, vaccinated? So, Fully vaccinated is just a little bit lower, I think. Okay. Um, okay. Now you put me on the spot. I think first. Yeah, no, no, that's all right. First, first jabs are, are getting up there, uh, okay. and the, the thinking being, of course, you, well, we're operating between a three and a six week lag between when you get your first two. Oh, okay. Your second. Okay. Um, okay. So it's, it's tracking. It's tracking okay. The problem here, Sunil, is that no one's the government hasn't set a target to say, well, when we cross eighty percent, eighty five, or ninety. X, Y, and Z will happen. We, we haven't declared any freedom day. So there's a okay, frustrated okay. uncertainty here of going, well, what does any of this mean? <laughs> hey, switching then. So obviously you guys have just had your latest Conservative Party conference. I think you were telling me earlier off, off camera, uh, like 10,000 or so people. So yeah, tell us about the conference. What's been some of the themes? Um, so yeah, it was it was amazing to to be back at Conservative Party conference. You know, we, we have them similar, to, uh, I think, to you guys, similar sort of event. It's every year, and um, our if you're a Conservative member uh, of the party, so this is to anyone in the country. You you can go um, to the conference. 
Um, we, as in Conservative Friends of the Commonwealth, we held an, uh, an event this year. We, we typically hold an event every year uh, that we're there. So uh, we held an event this year where um, naturally we were talking about promoting the Commonwealth. Um, we had uh, a few uh, a few cabinet ministers speaking at our event. Um, uh, the um, High Commissioner of uh, Kenya was also at our event. So it was a really um, fun sort of event. The, the, the conference broadly in general um you have you know multiple sort of fringe events that go on throughout the day they start from 8 a.m um which you know they're a bit more policy heavy so you know you may go to an event on um you know how can um how can we go green but you know at the same time have a, a free market economy or something along those lines you'll have lots of different uh discussion points um and then in the evening you tend to have the more receptions um and this year, I'd say there was quite a big theme on leveling up. That was definitely our biggest uh, theme. Um, it, it was a mixture. So the last conference was a lot about global Britain because it mm-hmm. was, you know, we, we just had a referendum and uh, leaving European Union. So there was a massive talk on global Britain that carried on this conference as well. So we, there were a lot of global Britain um type event so our event for example would come under the sort of global britain uh, um, umbrella uh, but leveling up definitely was the was the key message which in short is essentially um making the economy uh, more sustainable across the uk so diversifying away from just london you know um helping economies in liverpool manchester uh, up north down south um so providing support and help for those regions which is something that i think we we talked about before Simon, I think in our in our last sort of session, which is you know there is a a bit of a divide between uh, London and the rest of the UK, which you, you can definitely notice. Um, so it was some of that's definitely um, well needed to be to be done, and it was good. Um, it was a, it was a good rhetoric they used, and there seems to be some good policies coming off from that. So that was definitely our our biggest theme of the conference. Funny. Although we haven't had our conferences because of lockdowns, that's something we discussed down here from the conservative or centre-right side, is that Auckland becomes sort of the city for New Zealand. Um, right. How do you actually spread some of that influence uh, throughout the country? How do you help regenerate some of the poorer or struggling uh, regions? So it's interesting to hear that you guys are talking uh, similar. Please, though, as well, to hear about the global side. New Zealand is still ultra-keen to get that free trade agreement with um with the UK, it seems tantalizingly close. So were there much discussions about, because I know you're negotiating free trade agreements with Australia, New Zealand, obviously the United States. Did that, if I can ask, was that sort of, well, not so much front and center, but was that part of the discussions? Yeah, I mean, there was, um, I was quite fortunate to go to uh, a couple of events, um, centered, to be honest, there was quite a lot of talk on Australia. Um, if I'm honest, there was uh, uh, quite a bit of uh, <laughs> chat on Australia, um, and th- there was some. I mean, some crazy, bizarre stats that, that that came out. I think one of them was in in a 12 year period. Um, I think we uh, both uh, the Conservative government and the latter stages of the Labour government under. Uh, Brown and Blair, I think in a, in a 12 year span, we'd visited Australia once, um, uh, as in a one person from cabinet had visited Australia once. Uh, and uh, in the same time, I think we had done, I don't know if it was Slovenia, 
um, or Slovakia, we'd done about 10 times in that period. And you do the the contrast in, in, in the two countries in terms of our shared history, values, the economies. And it, yeah, it was, it was something that was highlighted a lot about that, that needs to change. Um, so Australia was talked about a lot. New Zealand was mentioned. Uh, it, it, interestingly enough, with CEN, the Conservative Environmental Network, they they were talking oh. quite a bit about New Zealand. Um, but yeah, there was definitely, there's a massive global Britain appetite right now. I think um, for us, it was quite good because there were a lot of events that, that I went to and where I wasn't even speaking or you know, doing anything from, and you'd hear talk of the Commonwealth, you'd hear talk of doing more stuff with India, doing more stuff with um, you know Nigeria and stuff like that. So that was really good to see. So it seems to be on um, everyone's lips, um, some sort of, uh, someone has a different idea on where the economy should go, but generally the, the, the consensus is that diversifying portfolios and um, going outside of, um, the European Union and going further away in terms of New Zealand, Australia was something that was talked about a lot. So it, it's it's it was really fascinating. Um, I feel like the whereas last conference it, it was talked about a lot, but there wasn't really maybe as much substance to it. I, I suppose it was very new. You know, we had just the the referendum had just happened, and it looks it, at that point in conference it we hadn't signed to leave the European Union yet. The Brexit deal was on the verge of happening. Um, whereas now obviously it's happened. So I think whereas last time there was a lot of good words about it, this time there was a lot more substance behind um, the, those sort of events. So that was really good to see. That is, well, I mean, selfishly from the New Zealand side, we're positive about that. Very, always very keen to engage with the UK. We'd have to say it's not a big topic of conversation, but it gets noted at times and it's not just the UK, it's some of our other traditional friends and allies. We don't get to see them a lot, right. as in they haven't come down to, to us. We often will travel more as in you know, government or, or members of parliament. Uh, but New Zealand's always very keen to get these trade deals. We always try to beat Australia. I don't think that's going to be the case here. I think they'll get their FTA with the UK uh, first and us after that. But, um, well tying both your conference trade and the whole COVID question. It'll be nice when we can all travel again and you can come over here to New Zealand and um, I get over to the UK and say hello. But we better leave it there. But still, a big thank you for talking us uh, through what's happening there in the UK. And thanks for the work that you and the team continue to, to lead through the Conservative Friends of the Commonwealth. I'll make sure to, to link in uh, to that through this podcast. I think people really need to understand the important work that you guys uh, lead there. So again, thanks so much. Thank you for having me on. It's been an absolute pleasure. And yeah, like I said, it will be amazing to do this in person. And, um, you know, maybe you, you'll be at our conference next year and we'll be at your uh, National Party conference next year. That would be fantastic. Let, let's see if we can make that happen. I'll, I'll talk to Jacinda. You talk to Boris. We'll see what we can sort <laughs> out. Sounds thanks, a plan. We'll catch you later. See you later.